Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you are around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one, no questions asked. That is why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. Hello again at High Truths and a very special episode with Admiral Rachel Levine, the 17th Assistant Secretary of Health and four-star admiral in the Commissioned Corps. Thank you for joining me. You know, I know you could be listening to all sorts of podcasts or watching movies or reading a book, and you chose high truths, and that means a lot. But before bringing on the Admiral, who will share with us the United States federal strategy for the drug crisis, I thought I would share with you the LEV strategy for the drug crisis. If you've listened to this show, you learn that I get jealous very easily. I suffer from FOMO, fear of missing out. I envy gonorrhea and chlamydia. I covet Shigella diarrhea, and I really, really want to copy COVID. The COVID control model at the beginning of the pandemic followed test, treat, trace. First, test. Stick that Q-tip up your nose and find out whether you have COVID. This was important because the test was positive before you had symptoms. The test resulted in complex mapping that we saw go across the globe, this surveillance, and we had it down to the specific zip code. We have that not just for COVID, but also for sexually transmitted diseases. I know that the 92103 zip code has more cases of syphilis, and therefore I need to be aware of that and test and treat this illness. I want testing and mapping for drugs. We should have mapping for overdose deaths mapping for emergency department visits of agitated delirium due to drugs and psychosis associated marijuana. With 100,000 people dead a year from drugs, an entire airplane full of people falling out of the sky each day, we need real-time data to intervene better. Next, the infectious disease model includes treatment. All infectious diseases have treatment, antibiotics for Shigella, gonorrhea, and chlamydia, and monoclonal antibodies for COVID. Substance use disorder have treatment options as well, but yet only 12% of people with addiction seek treatment. Next comes tracing. We've heard of tracing when it comes to COVID, but the same concept can apply to drugs. Every overdose is a teachable moment. Let me share a 
case. Two young women overdosed on fentanyl at a hookah lounge. And they came to the emergency department where they were treated for this fentanyl overdose. Luckily, they survived. But the hookah lounge needs a naloxone box and education. They thought the girls were just drunk and initially just called the police. The college where the girls go to school need education and prevention and their friends and families may want to carry naloxone. Test, treat, trace. That has been the model for COVID and it's important. But with all that, it's not as important as the vaccine. The vaccine offers the best protection. And the vaccine for drug addiction is prevention. If we can keep kids and young adults from using drugs of any type of addictive chemical until age 25, when the brain is done growing, then we would have less addiction in the country. Less nicotine addiction, alcohol addiction, and drug addiction. Most kids don't use drugs. They have no biological drive to use drugs. So we just need to protect those precious brains. If we wanna be serious about drug prevention and deaths from fentanyl, then it starts with preventing marijuana use on that developing brain. I have not met a single patient who uses or overdosed on fentanyl that did not start priming his or her brain with marijuana at a young age. The LEV strategy to the drug problem would copy COVID with test, treat, trace, and vaccines. Test and track overdoses, treat addiction, trace to prevent further overdoses, and invest in prevention, the vaccine for substance use disorder. And now, I am proud to introduce Admiral Rachel Levine, the 17th Assistant Secretary for Health for the United States Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, and head of the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. The Admiral is a physician who worked in academic medicine and was Pennsylvania's Physician General and later Pennsylvania's Secretary of Health. She addressed COVID-19, the opioid crisis, behavioral health, and other public health challenges. You can find Admiral Rachel Levine's bio on the High Truth show notes. Admiral Rachel Levine, welcome to High Truths. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I trust that you adjusted to life in DC. I really enjoyed living there at the time. And you are the Assistant Secretary of Health. Uh, can you tell us, what does that mean? What do you do? Well, thank you so much for, for that question. So my role as the Assistant Secretary for Health is to advise the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Secretary um, Becerra, on public health matters, on medical and science matters, as well as to work to develop public health policy recommendations that really cut across health and human service agencies and, and operating divisions. Um, I oversee uh, the department's key public health offices and programs a number of different presidential and uh, secretarial advisory committees. Uh, we have 10 regional health offices across the nation. Uh, and then also, um, uh, I oversee the Office of the Surgeon General and the United States Public Health Service Commissioned Corps. Uh, we work to respond to health challenges. We implement evidence-based initiatives. We work on policy. We foster health innovations. Uh, and, you know, our goals are re to reduce health disparities, uh, increase access and affordability of health care, and advance health opportunities for, for all. That, that health equity issue is very, very important to us. 
That's a lot on your plate for the entire nation. You work on COVID, you work on drugs, you work at all health matters, and you're the boss of the Surgeon General. Uh, well, so the Surgeon General and I work very, very closely together, uh, and his office does report to the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health, but I have a very um, co collaborative uh, leadership style. Um, we, I know that you're very passionate about the issues of addiction and drug overdoses, and HSS announced a new overdose prevention strategy that includes um, primary prevention, harm reduction, evidence-based treatment and recovery. And I want to have you expand on, on each of these as I share my infectious disease analogy. So for example, I make the analogy that primary prevention for drugs is like the vaccine for COVID. So can you tell us what HSS is doing um, about prevention? Sure. Well, you know, we're all about prevention at the Department of Health and Human Services, and, and you are so correct. Uh, the overdose crisis is, is such a, um, a, a severe problem in the United States. It really is the crisis within, you know, the, 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 the pandemic. Um, so we, of course, want to prevent substance use and substance use disorders, and that is critical to how we address the overdose crisis. Um, you know, I'm a pediatrician and adolescent medicine specialist, and, you know, it's research shows that adults who have substance use disorders started using substances often in their youth or maybe as a young adult. So we have a, 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 a both a broad and targeted approach towards prevention. Uh, we want to focus on some population-specific strategies. Uh, we want to target high-risk in individuals. It is, of course, multidisciplinary. Um, and uh, we use all of our surveillance activities um, on, on this as well. So we, you know, we want to highlight um, substance use uh, prevention for youth uh, and, and adolescents um, in schools. We want to use prevention efforts in communities. And one thing that I have worked on is, is uh, working with the medical community on, on, on the careful and judicious prescription of powerful opioid medications. And so we have many different educational opportunities um, and, and efforts to work with the state and local health departments and work with many different provider groups on these prescriber and dispenser outbase efforts. Um, all of our efforts will be evidence-based and of course implemented across the lifespan. All important things. Um, yes, I've, I've been involved as an emergency physician at the very beginning with the opioid prescription crisis. I think we've made a good headway, but you're absolutely right. I haven't, I haven't met anybody who uses fentanyl or overdosed at fentanyl that didn't start at a very young age, sometimes like nine or, or, or 10, um, which is alarming. And I feel like we can't fairly discuss prevention without addressing marijuana, especially on the growing brain. Is there a discussion about marijuana, mental health and consumer protection? Well, you know, at the Department of Health and Human Services, we are continuously holding uh, discussions about mental health and well-being of really everyone uh, that we serve, everyone in, in the nation. Mental health is such a, a critical issue. And so there are lots of discussions about that intersection between mental health and substance use, and also particularly the intersection between uh, mental health issues and physical health issues. Um, you know, the, the, there 
there are reports uh, from the uh, from NIDA, the National Institute of, of, of Drug Abuse, um, on marijuana use among youth and college students. Uh, there is, I want to highlight a, a study called the Monitoring the Future Study, which has been done for decades, uh, looking at the use of, of various substances in eighth graders, 10th graders, and 12th graders. You know, we are seeing um, decreasing use of, of marijuana um, among um, high school students, but we are seeing a rise among college age students. Um, and so, you know, we want to be very, very cautious about that. Um, and of course, our priority remains, remains pre including prevention and ensuring access to comprehensive evidence-based prevention and treatment. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to hear that there's an effort. I, I Again, in the emergency department, we we provide a report once a year and we're seeing a, a really an alarming rise in cannabis related diagnosis in the emergency department. We in 2018, we saw 29 a day and our new report card for 2019 will be 39 diagnoses a day um, just in our county. And um, and and I think there is a big intersection, like you say, between mental health and substance use disorder. And we see that right in the middle. Um, my infectious disease analogy for addiction treatment is like antibiotics for bacteria. So can you tell us about the treatment priorities and strategy for HSS? Well, you know, just like um, uh, use of antibiotics for bacterial infections, and now, of course, the use of, of uh, different therapeutics such as monoclonal antibodies for um, for COVID nineteen, we for for substance use disorders, we all want to use always want to use evidence based treatment. Evidence based treatment is really key uh, to uh, to addressing um, uh, and treating patients with the disease of addiction and to reduce the number. Of people that die from drug overdoses. And that includes medications, particularly medications for opioid use disorder. They are really an evidence-based and in key treatment. Um, so in order to expand access to this opioid use disorder treatment, uh, HHS did issue new practice guidelines for the administration of buprenorphine for treating opioid use disorder. This exempts um, eligible practitioners from the, um, the from the federal certification requirements for the quote-unquote X waiver related to training, counseling, and other ancillary services uh, for the dispensing or prescription of buprenorphine. Uh, we are supporting also uh, research and development of new treatments and strategies for patients with substance use disorder. For example, for people suffering from the disease of addiction to methamphetamine or cocaine, there really is no current evidence-based standard of care medication for those disorders. So, you know, we have to look at other types of, of behaviorally-based treatments, including one called contingency management treatment. And we're also working, of course, on improving the delivery of this evidence-based treatment so that people have access and the availability for this cutting-edge evidence-based treatment for opioid use disorder and other substance use disorders. I love hearing you say that. And I have a couple questions for you about that. Um, removing the barriers to prescribe buprenorphine is important, but it's they're still there. There's still this X waiver. And we had a campaign called Xing the X waiver. I, I think it's still, uh, it perpetuates stigma 
doctors could say, oh, you know, I, I can't treat that population. You need to have special, you know, permission to do that. And can you imagine like if you have asthma and you say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't refill your inhaler. You need to go to somewhere else. And the majority of substance use disorder can be done at a primary care setting. Yes, there are some that need, you know, to have a specialist, but, um, but this, it remains a barrier. Is there any movement to try to eliminate that? Well, so yes, uh, we are committed to removing barriers for people seeking access to addiction treatment, including, of course, medication for opioid use disorder, which is uh, evidence-based in the standard of care. So that is why we published the buprenorphine practice guidelines. This was an integral step in addressing uh, barriers from providers that we are hearing, that it required eight hours of specific training for buprenorphine for physicians and up to 24 hours, actually, of training for physician extenders, such as nurse practitioners. And so we do support um, uh, removing the X waiver. But as you know, this is something that we cannot do by regulatory action. This is actually requires an act of Congress. This requires congressional action. But we want to remove all the barriers uh, to, to care, including this issue in terms of, of uh, buprenorphine prescriptions. And we do want to integrate the uh, prescribing of buprenorphine medications uh, for opioid use disorder into primary care practices. And we have a number of different programs to do that. Um, I feel that this should really all be incorporated into medical school training and into postgraduate training. And uh, in Pennsylvania, I did work on, um, with all of the medical schools in the state to accomplish that. And so we want to work throughout the country on that type of integration of this into uh, physicians' regular training programs. So Admiral, you'll be uh, pleased to hear I have two daughters in medical school and they, you know, from day one got lectures on pain and addiction um, more than once. So uh, I think that that's, uh, that's, that's happening. You know, um, contingency management for methamphetamine in the West Coast, we, we recently did a study and 76% of all the drug screens that, that we uh, obtained in our emergency department, 76% were positive for methamphetamine. So we desperately need uh, removing the barriers to treat contingency management, which is effective treatment. Not everything needs to have a medicine. Um, so anything you could do uh, to help out with that would be really be appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We, we were certainly uh, working towards that in a multidisciplinary way with our office, as well as, of course, SAMHSA, um, NIH, NIDA, and others. So harm reduction, this is something new, a new concept brought by the federal um, drug strategy. Can you explain what that is and what does that mean? Is it naloxone and fentanyl strips? Is it safe consumption site? What, what, is it, what does sure. harm reduction mean? Well, we're thinking of harm reduction very broadly, and it is a proactive and an evidence-based approach uh, to reduce the negative personal and public health impacts of the behavior associated with substance use at the individual level and at the community level. Um, and it's critical in terms of mitigating the negative consequences associated with drug use. So this does include um, continued work to expand the 
distribution and the administration of the life-saving medicine naloxone, often used, often called Narcan. Uh, I worked on this extensively in Pennsylvania and was actually the first state health official to write a standing order prescription for everyone in Pennsylvania to be able to obtain naloxone from a pharmacy based upon my prescription, again, as the state as the state health official. We want to work across the country uh, to, have, um, to have first responders have naloxone, but actually have the general public um, have access to this life-saving medicine. Another is access to what are called fentanyl strips. So you had mentioned fentanyl. This... Um, these fentanyl-related compounds, illicit fentanyl-related compounds, um, are, are related to many, many overdoses, the majority of overdose deaths that we see in the country. Uh, this, these fentanyl substances, unfortunately, are very cheap, very easy to make, an extremely powerful um, opioid. And they um, sometimes uh, uh, people might find it by themselves, uh, you know, with, with just fentanyl. They might find it uh, adulterating heroin. You might even find someone that might be using something such as methamphetamine or cocaine, but actually it's adulterated with fentanyl, which significantly increases the risk of overdose. So these fentanyl strips allow people with the disease of addiction that might be using to, to detect that there's fentanyl in them, which means that maybe they won't use the substance or they'll take precautions um, such as using with someone else who has naloxone to make sure that, that lives can, can be saved. Um, we also are strongly supportive of syringe service programs um, we, uh, where people can um, get a variety of services. They can get um, uh, uh, clean kits in terms of using um, drugs but they also can have access to fentanyl strips. They can have access to naloxone. They also can serve as a linkage to care where people can get uh, perhaps buprenorphine or get linked to treatment with buprenorphine. And they also are integral in preventing the infectious disease complications associated with substance use, such as hepatitis and HIV. So um, harm reduction is one of the four priorities, one of the four pillars of our overdose strategy um, uh, to integrate, to, uh, to, to reduce overdoses across the country. Um, very important for, uh, four pillars and uh, agree with all of them, uh, despite my infectious disease uh, analogy. Um, naloxone, um, it has an expiration date and um, there's still some barriers to, to, to getting that. Is there any talk with FDA as far as uh, getting a generic version or extending shelf life, anything like that? Well, I know that there have been... Yeah, I know that there has been work in terms of uh, more preparations of naloxone. Currently, what we're using is is a, is the nasal preparation, which is really quite um, uh, quite easy to use, easy to, uh, for for people uh, and accessible. Um, uh, the FDA has discussed ab about whether that would be over the counter or not. Um, there are challenges to that, but they're working through. So we'll see um, what what FDA decides in terms of their deliberative process. But what we want to work on at the Federal government is to make sure that uh, that the states have access to uh, naloxone to distribute uh, throughout their states. We did this in Pennsylvania. Um, in naloxone, we handed out um, uh, in Pennsylvania we handed out naloxone kits to our state health centers. Uh, we worked with the health departments of, of our of our cities, such as Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and other uh, county health departments to hand out naloxone. And again, people could get it with a prescription, and um, uh, every 
every insurance company in Pennsylvania uh, did cover naloxone, including uh, Medicaid. Um, so we want to make sure that that type of distribution and administration is available uh, throughout the country. And we'll work with SAMHSA, we'll work with, um, with CDC, uh, with HRSA and our community health centers to accomplish that. That's great. Um, you know, we, you mentioned fentanyl strips. I just want to share with you that in um, San Diego, we also worked on fentanyl testing in hospitals. Um, you know, when you get a drug screen and doctor gets a drug screen, you get, you know, you test for marijuana and PCP and opiates and amphetamines. Um, um, we also, since fentanyl is the number one driver of deaths, we, we wanted to include fentanyl because that makes a difference. Um, and so, so we did that in San Diego. Now it's standard of care. And hopefully for 2022, we'll have a bill in California that will make all hospitals include fentanyl in drug tests. So I wanted to, to sh- kind of share that I- idea with you. Thank you. That's very important because we need to know what substances are there that are leading to these overdoses and overdose deaths. Um, one of the challenges that we see is that um, is that there are many, many different fentanyl-related compounds, um, and, um, and and so the tests have to continue to evolve to keep up, um, actually, with the variations that we see. It poses a big challenge. And so you just went through all the the strategies and, you know, really thankful um, that there's so much attention to this effort. And I can't ignore that we're in the middle of the pandemic, uh, COVID, new strains coming about. Your office is managing that. Anything you want us to to know about uh, living through this uh, pandemic? Sure. Well, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has been so challenging. I mean, everyone has felt the strain. Um, and it has highlighted um, several lessons, I think, that we have to learn from the pandemic. One is that we are all interconnected. The decisions that any of us make have strong implications and really influence our families, our communities, our nation, and the world. And nothing is more important right now than getting vaccinated. You know, we have safe and effective vaccinations. Um, we, we have three safe and effective vaccinations, and we really, really want to encourage people uh, to get whatever, if they're not vaccinated, to get whatever information they need. We will provide that you know, through the federal government, as well as state and local health officials and other medical professionals. Um, to get vaccinated and start right now. You know, we are facing uh, the the predominant strain in the United States, which is still the Delta strain, which is very contagious. And then, you know, on, on the horizon is, is this new Omicron strain. Which, and we're learning more and more about that every day. Uh, we have made so much progress in our vaccinations throughout the country, but we have, we have more work to do. And then if you have been vaccinated, especially with, with, with the, uh, the potential for Omicron spreading in the United States, it's very, very important to get boosted. And so follow CDC directions to get your uh, instructions in terms of getting your booster dose, which in more evidence is showing that that provides the best protection against this new strain, Omicron. And are you recommending boosters now for everybody or only a select part of the population? 
But we're recommending uh, boosters now for those 16 and above. Um, and uh, so, so uh, if you received the uh, Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, you can get boosted six months later. Uh, if you received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, you can get boosted um, two months later. I actually received the Johnson & Johnson vaccine um, in the late spring and then uh, got boosted the day that it was uh, uh, that it was authorized by the uh, by the CDC. Um, and so we really, really want any everybody now 16 and older to get boosted. That's great. All right. Get boosted, America. Um, and uh, Admiral, uh, working with families, communities um, around our country, what is it that you want us to do to, to make a difference in, in the issue of substance use disorder? Well, you know, I think that it is so important for us to get past the stigma associated with the disease of addiction. Um, addiction is a disease like many other diseases. It's a it's a disease of the nervous system, and um, and so we have to get past the stigma associated with that, and we also have to get past the stigma associated with using medications. We've talked about medication for opioid use disorder. Uh, the medications are not a crutch; they are a medicine. We use medicines to treat many uh, medical disorders, uh, such as diabetes and hypertension and high cholesterol and um, uh, seizure disorders and many other types of conditions. So uh, buprenorphine medications, methadone and other medicines are medicines for opioid use disorder. And so we have to work past those stigmas in order to, to um, help treat people suffering from, those, from, from the disease of addiction. Right. If, if you have a medical condition, then there shouldn't be stigma associated with that. You should be able to get help. Um, but we also want prevention. We don't want people to end up with this disease in the first place uh, when possible. You're so, entirely correct. I agree 100 percent. Yeah. So, Admiral Levine, what an absolute honor to have you here on High Truths and learn that our federal government is committed to fixing the terrible devastation that drugs have on our country. And I know and feel that you are passionate on the issue. Um, I so appreciate your kindness. I noticed that, that on Zoom conferences, people in positions of power can be aloof, but you've always addressed me and others uh, with humility and care. And, um, and I really thank you for your passion and commitment. And I you know, bless you with success on this very important mission. Thank you so much. I really truly appreciate that. And it's really been a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This High Truths podcast is sponsored by CCR, the Center for Community Research, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. CCR is a San Diego-based nonprofit organization that has been recognized at the state and national level for community work on opioids, prescription drugs, methamphetamines, youth marijuana prevention, and data evaluation. Learn more about CCR at ccrconsulting.org. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davey Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths. <laughs>